Hi there, and happy holidays. I'm Howard, your host for this podcast. This is another episode of Digging for Answers with the Susquehanna County Master Gardeners. This time, since we're in the Christmas season, we've got two segments with topics that come up at Christmas. First, we have Stacy back with us with Holiday Cactus. What's in a name? And then we're going to do a repeat of a popular article segment that we had last December with Nancy Burkett about poinsettias. And then since December is going to be over pretty quick before we know it, and we'll start planning our gardens for next year's, and I know we've got a lot of rose garden folks out there, Stacy's going to finish off this episode with something about rose handler's disease. Have you ever heard of that? It's amazing. And think years ago when I used to plant a lot of roses and I got a lot of thorns, I'm thankful that I never came down with this disease. But listen and you'll learn about rose handler's disease. So I'll be back after all three of these segments Back with our gardening joke from my assistant Alexa, and to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Hi, this is Stacy Kalechitz, Penn State Extension Master Gardener from Susquehanna County, talking to you today about holiday cactus. What's in a name? It's early or mid-November, and your Christmas cactus is covered with blossoms. Some of these blossoms are starting to open. Say what? It's a Christmas cactus. Why is it blooming when it's not Christmas? Ever wonder if you really have a Christmas cactus? Christmas cacti are members of a group called leaf cacti, and are a popular long-lived houseplant. They are easy to care for. They have been known to be passed from generation to generation, and sometimes plants have lived for over a hundred years. The plant bodies are flattened, and the leaves are actually the stems. The flowers grow from the notches in the stems or from the tips. These cacti were commercially labeled zygocactus originally, but that was abandoned years ago, and since the 1950s, they have been listed under Slumbergia. These cacti produce colorful tubular blooms in shades of pink, lilac, white, reddish-orange, and yellow. The flowers last a long time. These cacti are epiphytic, which means they grow naturally in trees and on plants. They can be found in the rainforests of southeastern Brazil. In the rainforest, these cacti derive their moisture and nutrients from the air and rain. Since they are a tropical plant, they prefer high humidity and do best in bright, unfiltered light in a home setting. Their soil should be kept relatively moist most of the year. But before I go any further, did you know that there is more than one type of cactus that has been grouped and perhaps mistakenly called the Christmas cactus? 
For the sake of this podcast, let's refer to this grouping of three cacti as holiday cactus, unless otherwise specifically noted. There are actually three types of cacti that have been called by the same name, perhaps incorrectly at times. The Christmas cactus, Slumbergera brigesii. The Easter cactus, Hadiora gaetaneri, or Ripsalidopsis gaetaneri. The Thanksgiving cactus, Slumbergera truncata. Identification confusion between the Christmas and the Thanksgiving cactus occurs the most often. These two cacti look similar upon close examination. They are often mislabeled by stores and sellers more than any other succulent, whether unintentionally or intentionally. Thanksgiving cactus is often sold as Christmas cactus. Both bloom in the late fall or winter. All three of the holiday cacti are closely related and have very similar basic care needs. While you may not care which cactus you may have purchased, it is always good to know the exact name of your succulent in order to provide the best care. Let's talk about some of the differences between the three holiday cacti. If you have a Christmas cactus in your home, look at it closely. A Christmas cactus has wide and flat segments that are smaller and rounder than the other two cacti. The edges of the leaves have small indentation but lack pointed teeth. They are more scalloped and rounded at the end or tip of each segment that are slightly curved but can almost look flat across. The stem edges are smooth and slightly notched but not toothed or jagged. The Thanksgiving cactus has broad segmented leaves with serrated jagged edges on each side. The serrated edges form into points. There are two to four pointy teeth on each side. The teeth are soft and not sharp. These cacti have a distinctive claw-shaped pointed projection at the end of the last segment that is slightly concave with a point on each side. Think of the Thanksgiving cactus as having outward pointed claws. Common names for this cactus are the crab claw or crab cactus. Now the Easter cactus has flat segmented leaves similar to the Christmas cactus. It has slight scallops on the edges, but the shape is more subtle than the Christmas cactus. Their indents on the side of the leaf are more teardrop in shape. The Easter cactus has small bristles on the end of each leaf. There are no bristles on the end of the Christmas or Thanksgiving cactus. There are even some differences in the flowers of each of these holiday cacti. The Christmas cactus blossoms are white or red and occasionally yellow, and they usually bloom in December. The anthers are tipped with pollen that is pink to purplish to brown. The flowers are symmetrical and are evenly distributed on each flower tube. The flowers are pendulous and droop straight down. The plant shape is upright, but as it matures, the stems become pendant, hanging downward. The Easter cactus blossoms are royal purple 
red or pink, and are brighter than the Christmas or Thanksgiving cactus. The flowers are star-shaped, unlike the blossom shapes of the other holiday cactus. Easter cacti bloom between April and May. The Thanksgiving cactus blossoms are pink, red, white, or yellow. The pollen is yellow. The flowers are more symmetrical. The flowers extend horizontally from the tips of the stem segments. This plant grows in an upright direction. Keep in mind that while the Christmas and Thanksgiving cacti typically bloom in the late fall and winter, these species can surprise you and bloom at other times of the year as well. The Easter cacti, however, rarely blooms outside of its springtime blooming time. There may be years when the Easter cacti produce no blooms at all. The Easter cactus is the smaller of the holiday cacti plants. It is considered more difficult to grow than the other two holiday cacti as it is more sensitive to over and under watering. This cactus will shed its flattened stems, also called phyllocladus, at the slightest drought, but it does not like to be overwatered either. A soil moisture meter could be helpful in monitoring the soil of an Easter cactus. So, if you close your eyes and run your hands over the edge of the cactus in front of you, you can probably identify what cactus you have. If you feel a distinct point or claw, it's a Thanksgiving cactus. If there is no point or claw and nothing on the flat end or tip of the leaf, it's a Christmas cactus. If there are no points and no claws, but there are bristles on the end of the leaf, it's an Easter cactus. Day length and temperature control the flowering of the cacti. They are considered a short day plant. They will not bloom properly if exposed to artificial light at night. If temperatures are above 70 degrees Fahrenheit, flowers may not develop. These cacti prefer night temperatures of 60 to 65 degrees with slightly warmer day temps. Bedrooms or basements may be ideal. Water every seven to 10 days. Holiday cactus, by whatever name you choose to call them, are easy to grow, bloom in beautifully bright colors, and are sure to add cheer to whatever holiday or month they choose to bloom in. Hi there, this is Nancy Burkett. I am a Penn State Extension Master Gardener in Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Tis the season to think about decorating, and one of our traditional plants at this holiday is a poinsettia. I have a few helpful hints when selecting a healthy plant at the store. So when you get there, look for plants with dark green leaves. And you want to check by lifting them up and peek underneath and make sure you don't see any signs of insects. Then check also to make sure there's not a lot of wilted, damaged, or missing leaves. Then touch the soil. It, you don't want a plant that has really dry soil or really wet soil. Then you're going to 
pull down the foil or paper that happens to be around the base of the plant and look for strong, stiff, healthy stems. Then look at the plant in total. It should be approximately two times larger than the pot that it's in. So now you've picked out the perfect poinsettia. So I need to take it out to my car. Make sure that if it's below 50 out there, that you have your plant covered with a loose fitting bag. Or even if it's a little windy, make sure you have a nice loose fitting bag. And do not leave it in your car too long because if it's a really cold day, you don't want to damage your plant. Once you get it home, you're going to remove that sleeve that's made out of foil or paper. You want to place it somewhere in your house where the temperature remains pretty consistent, between 68 to 7 degrees. So I don't want it too hot or too cold, and you don't want it in a drafty area either. Then when the soil starts to feel a little dry is when you want to water it. And if you happen to overwater it, don't let it sit in water because that'll rot the roots. Now I have some interesting facts about our poinsettias. They actually grow in Mexico and they're not the smaller plants that we think of. They're lanky shrubs. And Joel Robert Poinsett, a botanist, physician, and our first U.S. ambassador to Mexico, introduced the poinsettia to the United States in 1828. Then Paul X. Sr. in the early 1900s sold it from his farm stand in Hollywood. Now his son, Paul Jr., he started selective breeding the plants. He wanted ones that would withstand shipping that lasted longer and produced lots of blooms. And on the topic of blooms, the actual flower of the poinsettia are very tiny green and yellow parts that you'll find in the center of what you think is the flower. And those red or pink leaves are actually not leaves, but they're modified leaves or bracts. So the flower themselves are really small. So check out the flower parts of that plant. And Paul himself developed many different types of poinsettias. Today, there's about a hundred different varieties. Paul Jr. is also known or given credit for introducing it to the United States all over, not just in California. And how he did this is he donated plants to fashion shoots at the holidays, and to holiday specials. For those of you that are a little older like I am, to the Bob Hope Christmas special and to the Tonight Show. Also, it's a myth that poinsettias are poisonous. They will not hurt you. They won't hurt your children, your puppies, or your kittens. If they eat a lot of leaves, they may have some stomach discomfort, but they're not going to kill them. Now, I have this nice poinsettia. Christmas is over. What should I do with it? Well, you have two options. The first option is throw it away. But if you're going to choose to throw it away, please don't put it in your garbage. 
please compost it. And if you don't have a compost, give it to someone that does have a compost. Or the second option, keep it as a houseplant. It is difficult to get them to rebloom for your next holiday season, but it can be done. I've never tried to rebloom mine. I've had one for two summers, so this is my third Christmas season. It's a very healthy, beautiful green plant. But if you would like to try to get yours to rebloom, you're going to keep it through the spring. And then about late March, early April, you want to cut it back to four to eight inches above the soil. You're going to fertilize it about every two weeks with a common 10-10-10 fertilizer. When the nighttime temperatures reaches above 50 consistently, so no threat of frost, you can take your poinsettia outside. Place it in partial shade. You do not plant it in the ground. Now that's where I made a mistake because my last two summers, I put mine in the ground. So next year, I'm going to try to just put mine in a larger pot because uh, as it grows, you want to repot them. So I'm going to repot it and put it outside and then I'm going to see if I can get it to rebloom. About June or July, to keep your plant nice and bushy, you want to do some pruning. And you can prune it again if it continues to grow a lot, but after September 1st, do not prune it. And here comes that magic 50 degrees again. When the temperature goes below 50 degrees, you want to bring your plant inside, keep it in a nice sunny window, um, make sure you continue to water it, you can continue to give it fertilizer, and then around October 1st, this is when the tricky start part starts. You need to put it in total darkness for 14 hours a day. So you want to put it in a closet that's really dark, or you could put it in a darker room with a box over it. And then after that approximately 14 hours, you want to take it out of the dark and you're going to put it back in a sunny window. And you're going to continue to water it and fertilize it. As soon as you notice it to start turning colors, you want to, and check for little blooms, you want to stop fertilizing it, but continue watering it. So you're going to, every day, make sure you get 14 hours of dark and then bring it out into the sunshine. So you're going to do that until you start to see that color change. And that should happen about mid-December. Now, if you forget, even one day, unfortunately, it resets the clock. So you want the colorful uh, modified leaves by that mid-December. So you got to make sure every day, 14 hours approximately darkness, and then in the sunshine. So mid-December, when you get to the color that you want it, you can bring it out and leave it out. Actually, December 12th is National Poinsettia Day. I hope this presentation helps when choosing a healthy poinsettia. Have a wonderful holiday season.
Hi there, this is Howard, and if I got some holiday tips for you, I guess you could call me Howard the Elf. Two items for the gardeners in your life. Let's start with the Penn State Extension Master Gardener Manual. This is the same document that those individuals in the state that are getting certified to become a Master Gardener use when they are going through the class. It's the same document that if you call with a helpline question, it's one of the first places I'll go look for if I'm responding to your call. It's an award-winning, definitive, one-of-a-kind reference for Pennsylvania gardeners. 800 pages, hardback, brings basic horticultural knowledge to life with over 600 color photographs and the research-fueled expertise of the Penn State scientists. Topics include plant propagation, soil health, using fertilizers, plant diseases, pest management, tree pruning, composting, and much, much more. Give the gift of the Master Gardener Manual to your favorite gardener. Also, we have the 2022 Penn State Extension Master Gardener Calendar. It's a full year of the stunning beauty of the state of Pennsylvania. Features over 50 photos of gardens and natural splendor along with monthly gardening insights and tips. Many of the pictures are taken by the master gardeners throughout the state and even from this county. To order either one of these, you can call the Extension Office at 877-345-0691, or you can order online. Just go to the Penn State Extension website and look for the Penn State Extension Master Gardener Manual or the Master Gardener Calendar. Some great holiday gifts. And my experience has been, when you place an order online, they normally ship and you receive it in three to four days, so you still have time before the holidays. Thanks, and have a great holiday. Hi, this is Stacy Kolechitz. Penn State Extension Master Gardener from Susquehanna County, here today to talk to you about Rose Gardner's disease. A fellow gardener and good friend of mine shared her recent weeding experience with me. On a warm, sunny fall afternoon, she was working under a new rose bush that had been a birthday gift from her husband. She was wearing gardening gloves. As she grabbed hold of a weed that was under the rose bush and pulled firmly, she realized that it was not one of those that had been stuck in the ground. The weed pulled out so quickly and so easily that her gloved hand was thrust upward onto a large rose thorn. She told me, of course, it was one of the largest, sharpest thorns on the bush, and it pierced through my glove and went right into the top of my hand. At this point, she showed me pictures of her hand after the event. The puncture site on the back of her hand swelled to the size of a walnut shell 
and became reddish and purplish. Upon the insistence of her husband, my friend sought medical care at a local walk-in clinic. She told me, all the while I was thinking, seriously, it's just a rose thorn splinter, nothing major. But as the swelling on the back of her hand continued to increase, her third finger joint and other joints were getting more stiff and more sore. So you're probably thinking, what could have caused this to happen? Have you ever heard of Rose Gardner's disease? It is also known as Rose Handler's disease. Yes, it really is called that. More commonly known as sporotrichosis or Rose Gardner's disease, this is a type of rare infection caused by a fungus called Sporothrix schenka. This fungus lives throughout the world in soil and on plant matter such as sphagnum moss, rose bushes, and hay. It can be found in certain plants and on their surrounding soils. People can get sporotrichosis by coming into contact with the fungal spores in the environment. It occurs when the fungus gets into the skin via a small cut, scrape, or puncture such as from a rose thorn. While many gardeners call these sharp outgrowths on roses thorns, botanists might call these sharp outgrowths prickles as they are part of the outer layer of the plant's stem. True thorns have deeper roots in a plant's stem. Rose prickles don't meet the definition of true thorns. So gardeners beware, any thorn or prickle that is sharp enough to puncture your skin, can pass infectious materials into the wound, such as bacteria, fungi, dirt, garden chemicals, and fertilizers. It can occur in healthy people, but can be common among people with weakened immune systems. Outbreaks have been seen in rose gardeners, florists, nursery workers, greenhouse workers, and kids who have played on or handled hay bales anyone who handles materials that have been contaminated by the fungus. How can you prevent sporotrichosis? You can reduce your risk by wearing protective clothing such as long sleeves and gloves when working with rose bushes, hay bales, pine seedlings, or any materials that can cause minor cuts or punctures in the skin. It is also advisable to avoid skin contact with sphagnum moss. If you do happen to experience a cut or puncture in the skin from rose bushes, hay bales, pine seedlings, or sphagnum moss, know that the symptoms of sporotrichosis can appear anytime between and up to 12 weeks after infection. Seek out health care if you have symptoms or concerns. This podcast was researched and written from the standpoint of a master gardener Should you experience any of these symptoms or have any medical concerns, please seek medical advice as needed. Okay, well, this is Howard back with you again to finish out this episode of Digging for Answers. Special holiday edition here. So now you've got a little bit of information about those holiday cactus and poinsettias. So thank you, Stacy and Nancy. And you also know planning for the roses for next spring. But before we go, let's try 
to check on a good joke, hopefully a good joke, from my assistant. Alexa, t tell me a gardening joke. How long before the slugs get to your tomato plants? It's only a matter of slime. Oh, how long till the slugs get to your tomato plants? It's only a matter of slime. Well, with that, all of the master gardeners here in Susquehanna County hope that you have a very Merry Christmas and holiday season. Till next time. Thank you.